Welcome to Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Dana Wilson, and I move people. I am all about the tools and techniques that empower tomorrow's leaders to make the work of their dreams and live a full life while doing it. So whether you're new to the game or transitioning to your next echelon of greatness, you're in the right place. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm Dana, this is Words That Move Me, and you must be a mover and shaker. (laughs) Thank you for being here. I am stoked that you're here because this episode is special, and I am aware that I say that every week, and truly, they are all special. That's the sound of me patting myself on the back. (laughs) Uh, But this week's episode is extra, extra special because we're not just talking about moving and shaking. We are talking about moving and speaking, moving and singing even. Yes, actually, moving and shouting with the right training, (laughs) of course. Yes, today we are joined by Mindy Pack, and Mindy is a vocal health specialist. This is her life's work and she is good at her job. So I'm very excited to share this episode. But first, I want to give a little bit more context. If you know me, you know that voice is extremely important to me. And my relationship with mine is complex. I won't even say complicated, but it's it's thick. Because I had vocal cord surgery a little over a year ago, and I have been very interested in voice uh, since I found out that I had a vocal cord cyst, and all during my recovery up until the present. But it is not just my voice that I'm interested in, it is the voice of artists as a whole, you know, hence this podcast. I think you'd be very surprised just how much your creative health and your vocal health are linked. That is what I found for myself. That's what I've found in conversation with so many others. So that is why I think this episode is special. And I'm excited to introduce you to this week's guest, Mindy Pack, because she does voices. Um, I'm so stoked to share that with you. But first, we do wins. Every week on the podcast, we start with wins because I think it's important to celebrate what is going well. And y'all, (laughs) Today, I am celebrating a bookshelf, a bookshelf that is much, much, much more than a bookshelf. It is a monolith of struggle. It is a it is a eight by 13 foot reminder of my humanity, of my good ideas of my bad ideas, especially my bad ideas, of other people's ideas. Um, And it used to be kind of a black hole in my wall over there. Uh, It was black and now it is sage because I painted it and I also wallpapered it. And now I am here with my win to keep you from losing your mind in the future because I'm going to tell you right now, You do not need to wallpaper the back of your bookshelf ever. You do not want to. You do not need to. It is not worth it. I did it, 
and now I know it's done. I'm celebrating that, the done part. Uh, And now you know, and I'm celebrating having shared this with you. You don't need to wallpaper your bookshelf, no matter how many blogs tell you that it is, quote, fast and easy. It is slow and it is painful. So I am struggling the completion of this task and having been face to face with it for, I kid you not, weeks. From beginning of project to end of project, multiple weeks. So I've learned a lot. I've now shared what I've learned. That is my win. Now you go. What's going well in your world? Hit me. All right, congratulations, my friend. I'm so glad you're winning. This is huge. Even if it's small, it's big. You're doing it. I've got you. Let's keep going. This week, I know I've already said that. I'm going to not say this week. Okay. In this episode, we talk about all of the ways you can hurt and heal your voice. We dig into the importance of having a great team and what makes a great coach. You know, I love that part of the conversation. We also talk about the role that mental health plays in vocal health and how shame and guilt often surround injuries, specifically vocal injuries. So you're going to learn all about what you should be doing and what you should not be doing in order to achieve good vocal health and to maintain it. Those are different things, by the way. Uh, You'll also learn what to do if you think that you've lost your identity in an injury. If, If when becoming injured, you think you don't have an identity anymore, or you don't know who you are without this healthily working part of you. Whoa, we're digging into that topic today. You'll also get a masterclass in turning lemons into lemonade, and as if that wasn't enough... You're going to hear about this little tool that saved me post-operation. Mindy Pack's Voice Straw, appropriately named The Voice Straw. Um, it, it is for straw phonation, which we'll talk a little bit about more in the episode. Straw phonation in general, but specifically the voice straw, are real game changers. They are made for people who use their voice. They are made for people recovering from vocal injuries. And I am so thrilled that Mindy is offering 10% off the voice straw to all Words That Move Me listeners. This is freaking awesome. So if you like what you hear and you want to help yourself to better voice health, head over to voicestraw.com and use the discount code WTMMVOICE. That's WTMM Voice. No spaces, all caps. WTMM voice at the checkout. All right, that is my spiel. You are in for a treat. Let's do this. Enjoy the fabulous Mindy Pack. Mindy Pack, welcome to Words That Move Me. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so excited too. Um, I only recently have kind of 
unwillingly stumbled upon a serious interest in voice. So I'm very lucky to have you here. Um, I, I think I came to know about you from Rob Stevenson, who is also a podcast guest and a vocal coach to the stars. I do... I know whispering is not good for your voice, but I do think Rob is a voice whisperer. And if you are anything like Rob, then you are a voice angel as well. I am stoked. Let's get into this. Okay, uh, tradition on the podcast, you are asked to introduce yourself, which is sometimes daunting, uh, but go ahead and let it rip. Anything you want us to know about you? Uh, well, my name's Mindy Peck. Uh, I'm based out of Salt Lake City, but I have studio in... LA and then teach globally. Rob Stevenson's actually my partner. So I agree. He is a voice whisperer and <laughs> I'm very lucky <laughs> that we get to team with some amazing clients and, you know, he's like my long lost twin. So we're very similar. Awesome. Um, what else? Uh, I'm a clinical vocologist, meaning that I specialize in habilitation and rehabilitation of the voice. I'm also a performer myself. I had my first professional job at 16 where I moved to Japan um, so I really feel like I understand demands of what is placed on a singer where a lot of voice coaches may not have had that professional experience. Um, mm. And I've also been injured as a singer uh, coming from not anything I was doing vocally, but an emotional trauma that manifested my, itself in my voice, which then led me down into this whole vocology kind of program and really figuring it out. So I just want to be a resource and tool for voice users across the globe to say, you know, you're not alone and let's fix it. And how can we make it better and stronger and be uniquely you, you know, like let's find your uh, vocal fingerprint. So that's just kind of a little bit Oh, Mindy, <laughs> might cry during this episode. <laughs> might cry. It, it wouldn't podcast without that. <laughs> oh man, a uh, voice is such a personal thing. You said fingerprint. And yes, it is. It's like, it's such a huge part of a person's identity, especially a creative person, um, both physical voice and, you know, metaphorical voice, I think so important and linked. So uh, before we get into it, I want to ask a question um, yeah. that I have never asked any of the vocal professionals in my sphere because I I think I assume that I know the answer, but you know what they say about assuming things. So here I am asking the vocal professional. Um, okay, so you you mentioned you started performing very young and you were a vocalist, I'm assuming, not like a singer, dancer, theater kid, but like a singer. Yeah, so I did like these, I call it like party band stuff where it actually was singing and dancing. Okay. I was never like a strong dancer. I call it mm -hmm. movement. Work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, so I, but I was always like the dominant powerhouse singer in it. So it's kind of like think party band with movement. Okay. 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 So you're, a, you're a vocal health worker. I am a movement health worker. This is, we're lining up beautifully, but my question, if I could freaking arrive to it is like, were your relationships with quote unquote normies, I call them people who do not perform, <laughs> they're called normies, um, was that kind of like estranged because you were so into this other thing? Like I just assume that all performers have that thing. When I was in high school, I was taking, I was dancing 40 hours a week and my friends would roll their eyes and like stop inviting me to things because they knew the answer was I've got dance. And 
I just assume that it's the same for all performers, but maybe it isn't. Were you like praised because you had this wicked talent? And were you the party because you sang everywhere you went? Or what was what was your experience of your talent early on? I mean, I had, I was, I called myself, like I would, I had a bunch of different groups of friends. Like I make, like I was nominated for homecoming queen by the chess club. <laughs> you know, but I dated people on the football team, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I had a variety of group of, of people and I love just being around everybody. So I always tried to make the effort, but I did have a core group of friends who were actually performers with me that, mm-hmm. you know, I hung out with all the time and like and did everything. But, you know, I tried to do as much as I could to have a life outside of it just to bring some balance. Cause you know, sometimes there's mm-hmm. some ego and arrogance that kind of gets involved on certain things and, mm-hmm. um, you know, nice having a little bit of balance. And then also I loved hanging out with really, you know, talented people because it pushed me to try and be better. Cause I am competitive too. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, little, little bits of your answer there remind me a tad of myself. I was definitely a social butterfly, like had a foot in every click at school, but wasn't, really tight, like deeply uh, tight with anyone other than my dance friends. And so many of those are lifers, you know, so many of those are forever. But I suppose I didn't start finding real balance in terms of intimate relationships from fully other walks of life until a little bit later, probably until I moved to here to LA, started a professional career um, and was surrounded by fascinating people of so many types. Uh, but yeah, I, I've just always wondered, like, is that just a dance thing? Because it really was, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I'll have to ask my mom who's listening. Hey, mom, could you text me or call? Uh, I really think it was probably 40 hours between dance class rehearsals and conventions and competitions. W- what do you think your hourly regimen was like in your early training days? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I was probably the same. At the time of, like, high school, I mean, I was doing the school plays, you know, so I was in rehearsals till five, and then I was a part of, like, this performing organization where then I would jump to private voice lessons, group voice lessons, the actual, like, staging rehearsals of the singers and dancers, and then I was in, I mean, I had to be in, like, four dance classes, you know, I was in the ballet, jazz, Mm -hmm. like, all of that, too, so, I mean, I was probably at the studio five times a week, you know, going mm-hmm. through it. And we had shows, you know, our shows weren't typically like convention time. It was mostly like the holiday brackets and like summer stuff, you know, like we were mm-hmm. kind of going through things. And then it turned into things like the performers that like you'd see at Disneyland where it was like, you had like set times at the different theme parks and stuff like that, that we would go to, you know, as, as a cast. So it just kind of like varied. And then when I was 16, we got a call kind of this group that I was with to go over to Japan for a little while. And so, you know, I was a sophomore in high school and I asked my mom, like, I want, I really want to do this. She said, okay. So I pulled out of high school and went over there for a few months and had this amazing opportunity. And just then was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I know I I meant to do this. So yeah. Wow. But I will say going back, my best friend still to this day, I met her when I was in kindergarten. We're still best friends. She is like the worst singer I have ever heard in my life. So non 
performing, create like that, but she is the most bad a female human ever. So, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I I have one of those as well, Rachel Verizer, who did we used to dance together, but she's not a dancer hey, anymore. Whatever, age. <laughs> um, okay, this is this is interesting. I I I don't think I was fully right in my assumption, but it's I always wonder how training lines up with different disciplines. I always just assume that for everyone, it's all in all the time. Um, but balance, thank you for that reminder, always. It, almost, it comes up in almost every episode, actually. <laughs> the value of balance and the importance of finding it. I think that that assumption isn't incorrect because it's like you surround yourself with like minds. Mm-hmm. And so you were probably surrounding yourself with people who wanted a professional dance experience and mm-hmm. so that's why it narrowed in that kind of bubble. Cause I don't, there's people who make it on a professional level like yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a certain drive and dedication that comes into honing in that craft. Mm-hmm. And so I think because you had that drive and that dedication at a young age, that's probably why you think that way. Cause you were surrounding yourself with other people of like mind, mm-hmm. but people who maybe aren't looking at that in a professional way, see mm-hmm. things a different way. Totally. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so 16 years old, Japan, awesome. I love that. How did performing transition for you into coaching? What did that look like? So I did a bunch of different kind of these like USO party band type things until I was mm, 20, about 23. And then I got, I got approached to teach at a performing arts studio. And I never really thought myself as a coach um, in this setting, but I was like, sure, you know, I was getting ready to go to college. I'm like, this is good money. Like, whatever, let me, let me try it off season and just kind of see what it's like. And I just fell in love with it. I thought everybody trained the way I trained or like everybody was like me. And I learned very fast that that is not the case. And so, um, yeah, I just started really trying to figure out what the, you know, I was one that never had issues with my voice ever. So I didn't understand people who do, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was starting out that there was actually things that had to happen in order to create sound. And mm-hmm. so from there, I just started really researching and studying and finding mentors and like listening and like, who did they study with and doing everything I possibly could to get um, in these different, I guess, uh, presence of of different people to learn how to teach and why voices work the way they work. And so it wasn't until I was about 27, 28, I auditioned for a national tour and made one of the the leads. I was married at the time and I went to go get my physical and I found out that I was pregnant and I had made the tour and we weren't trying. Like it was like this huge shock. And um, I was like, okay, everything I've worked for, for like a national tour now is like out the gate, gone. And so it took me a minute to like really process that. And, uh, you know, I, I had my first son, my first son, and it was the best thing that could have happened to me because it like kind of forced me to prioritize boundaries again and still find passion and love and drive in a field that I absolutely love, but just not tour. So in the same way of I still get to do what I do, I get the same thrill, I guess, as, as a coach that I do as a performer on stage when I coach an artist or someone and I see them on stage fulfilling the energy and the excitement to the millions of people in the audience, you know, that I had some teensy, weensy, weensy little part of helping bring joy to so many people. So 
something that I thought was like, oh my gosh, my like career is over turned out to be way bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. Thank you, universe. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, manifested itself that way. So 27 is kind of when I really hit in hard as to this is coaching full-time and went from a performing arts studio into, I'm going to go into, I want to work with professionals. People who do the type of work that you were doing before you Mm -hmm. changed course. Yeah. And it was like, how do I get there? You know, I'm in Salt Lake City. Like there's only so much you could do in Salt Lake and I have a family and I couldn't relocate. Yeah. So it's just like, how do I navigate this? And Rob was actually a huge part of that, you know, like, cause at the time I didn't know him Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I met Rob and we like instantly connected where I was like, Oh, I I can do this. And things just kind of started shifting into place. Interesting. Yeah. What does networking look like in your field for dancers? I mean, there's a billion D dance related events happening all the time and there's professional training environments. Like, you know, in LA I could, on two hands, the number of studios that you go to take class at, but it's networking. Like that's how dancers ascend to being professionals. And that's how dancers also transition into being choreographers. Um, Is there a kind of system like that in your world? Or is it really just like find somebody on the internet and be like, hey, you do this thing. It can't be like that. I'm daft. I sound ridiculous. I sound like a child. No, I mean, like, in, some, in some things it is that way. I mean, so I think it just depends, you know, like somebody, for me, it's like for coaching, it was a lot of networking, like going through different things and like being able to have the education and confidence mm-hmm. to show that I knew what I was doing. Because, you know, when you're working at a level of high professionals, like they can smell Oh yeah. Self doubt or insecurity. You need a, you need a pedigree of some sort. You need like a. You're put in intense situations fast. And so you have to be able to like calm it down or figure it out or, you know, like keep a, keep it cool, but really advocate for the artist. And so, I mean, a lot of it to get into it was, you know, a lot of networking. A lot of it is my schooling and the education that I had behind it. You know, the, Mm -hmm lended the, the credence to what I do, you know, because mm-hmm. as of now, with the credentialing that I have, there's only two of us in the United States that have wow. full credentials that I have. Um, and then they have, you know, networking and just being a nice person, you know, like just like mm-hmm. really advocating for the artist and, you know, f- really figuring out management because management will either make or break you on certain things mm. as much as you like hate that, but it's true. And, um, you know, learning how to stay in your lane, you know, cause it's hard. Sometimes we want to like have all this saying a lot of stuff and you have to just kind of stay in that lane and, and figure it out. I'm glad that you brought up the interfacing with management idea. There's <laughs> like, there, there are, there are two different worlds on purpose, yeah. the artist and the management, because they speak different languages. They operate mm-hmm. on different schedules and different modes of communication And I think so many dancers communicate and operate more like artists and sometimes lack the, uh, you know, the the business jargon, the email reading and responding and all that. It is such a part, such a huge part for a coach who's usually the person (laughs) interfacing with both sides the most. Uh, So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Okay. In terms of network and and pedigree and your 
kind of the level that you work at, you coach some of the top, top, tops. And actually, I wonder how many overlaps we have because I didn't know that you worked with JT or I did know Miley Cyrus. Um, and Miley and I worked together back in 2016. I'm sure there are more. Um, but I'm curious specifically about the way that you helped JT during the Man of the Woods tour. Uh, he had a, a vocal injury and I did too at the same freaking time. I remember um, we had a rehearsal for something and he was on mandatory vocal rest and I had lost my voice. So I was not on mandatory vocal rest, but I was on like physically mandatory vocal rest. And he and I were practicing some ASL together, like practicing some <laughs> sign language. Um, but uh, I'm I'm wondering how you were brought into that fold and if you're able to talk about it all, you know, any of the things that you would recommend for anybody in his situation, which was, you know, with a lot on the line and some pretty serious damage. Yeah, I mean, I can't go into specifics on what, you know, he and I did, mm -hmm. but I can talk in general, you know, because rehabilitation is something that, you know, I deal with a lot. Um, how I got brought into that was Rob Stevenson is his main coach mm -hmm. and Rob was out with another client. And because my specialty is rehab, um, he was like, you know, give my girl a shot type thing. And it was a, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting <laughs> process, you know, because, you know, I'm coming in at a very vulnerable space, mm -hmm. you know, of someone totally new. And, um, you know, he has to be able to trust that what I'm doing is right. And I'm very different in how I teach in a rehab setting than I am in just a maintenance setting. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a beautiful relationship. One that I, I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, he's just mm -hmm. like the nicest and coolest so person. Um, you know, one where it was just like one of my best experiences on tour, but like probably one of the most stressful because our first show out the gate was Madison Square Garden on his birthday. Oh. And so it was like, we were like gearing up, gearing up, gearing up. And I'm just like, sweet baby, Jesus, <laughs> take, take the wheel. <laughs> you know, everybody's like looking at me like, are we clear? Are we clear? Are we good? Are we good? And I'm like, we're good. And then in my side, I'm like, <laughs> you know, are we good? <laughs> no, I didn't have any doubt. But, you know, I mean, that's intense, you know, birthday yeah. in Madison Square Garden. Oh, yeah. Like super, super high stakes. And oh, a lot of, you know, I think about him, any any like headlining vocal artist, uh, what am I trying to say? Any like headline level recording artist who's like playing Madison Square Garden is in a position where they're not just responsible for all of the people coming to see the show that night, right? There's a lot of like pressure on them in terms of the audience and the show they put on. But think about everyone on staff that's looking to them for their paycheck, the bus drivers, the crew, the f the yep. dancers. Yes, all of us, like that man's voice was our livelihood. And so there's yep. so much pressure packed in. And maybe you can talk a little bit about, because uh, I know you had an injury as well, like the psychosomatic element of voice and how pressure can maybe adversely affect the healing process. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, it goes hand in hand, hand in hand in there, you know? And one thing I always say is that, you know, you're bringing me in so I can eliminate that pressure from you. 
Mm. Like, let me worry about it and get it to work. You don't worry about it. As long as you stay with me and we communicate, I'm going to take that stress and pressure so that I can, I'll take that away so that you can just work on healing. And the Mm -hmm. minute they can like trust that process. And this is with everybody, you know, like if you're injured or if you're feeling that way, you need to have a, doesn't matter how good you are. You have to find someone that has an ear um, that can help you. And that has a qualified voice team to help Mm -hmm. make these decisions, you know, for you. Um, So for me, that's like the first thing out the gate is let me help you by taking that pressure away. The more, and you're, Absolutely correct. There is an immense amount of mental stress that happens when those two little muscles are reliant on millions and millions of dollars, you know, at, out the gate, you know? And so, you know, the best thing for them to do is obviously take that stress away. And then we set up a routine that is customized to what their voice is doing, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's different stretches, scale patterns, even nutrition, looking at medication, are they drinking coffee? Are they smoking? Are they vaping? Like all these things that have a component to vocal health, we start breaking everything down so that we can try and get healthy fast. Mm-hmm. Um, go through that. Um, I also have a great therapist that works with um, this our team, so that the pressure that they feel if we need to have more tools in the toolbox, we have those mental health components that can help you know strategize with that, because it is, there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of embarrassment if something like that happens. And the thing is, is that it's, it's normal. You know, we, we look at dancers or we look at athletes, you know, who do the same repetitive movement, you know, every time, you know, a free throw, mm-hmm. boom. you know, they tear, tear an ACL and everybody's like, Oh no, they tore an ACL. Like they're out best wishes. And then somebody gets a voice injury and then it's like, well, what did you do? Like, you don't like, right. you just, see, you must like, have done something wrong. Yeah. And like, you know, people don't realize when the orchestra tunes to that, that pitch of A440. Okay. So you hear that in there, you know, whatever that pitch is, it's A440. It's that's the Hertz that's with it. Your vocal cords collide 440 times a second on that pitch. So when you think about the millions of collisions that happen to create sound in a two hour set, a three hour set, we're talking millions and millions and millions that they, as an artist, have to execute night after night after night, keeping it together. And then you add in someone like JT or Pink or, um, mm-hmm. you know, like people who actually move, like who move. Who are like physically exerting. Yeah, like a in- whole other type of training because you have to get your body in these like situations so that it it becomes a new norm or like the back mm-hmm. bends on freaking stage. Like that is not a normal body position to create sound. So how do you facilitate that, um, in a prep so that you don't get injured on stage? Mm -hmm. I remember once working out with Jay, um, it was, I don't remember when or where we were, but, um, I was, I had just seen the Chadwick Boseman, James Brown biopic, get on up and, Jay had just seen it also, and we were working out together that morning, and I was walking on an incline, and he was started on flat and then started inclining and then started running. (laughs) I was still walking at an incline pace. He was at a jog on an incline and talking to me. Like, it was easy for him to hold a conversation, and I was (sighs) huffing and puffing, and I think, you know, one of the things 
that I think led to my vocal cord injury was my dance training teaching me, really encouraging me, reinforcing me to uh, not belly breathe. Belly stays in and tight. And I still daily have to coach myself into letting my belly release to breathe, keeping a rib cage lifted and letting this do the rest versus rib cage up and down, traps up and down. Like I really used to breathe from my neck and and chest. So the like the posture of the dance moves that we had him in on tour makes it challenging to sing, but also the exertion, like the breath control and the type of breath that's required to support that kind of singing plus the type of breath that's required to support that kind of dancing, it blows my freaking mind. Unofficial JT appreciation episode. Um yeah. But it really is, it's remarkable. Yeah, we do that. So depending on the type of tour, like you can see, and it went viral, you know, so this, I can talk about it was Miley training on the treadmill when we were getting Mm. ready for stuff. And so cardio component, when you're doing a hour and a half, two hour show, even if 20 minutes set, you know, it's difficult for some people, you know, but that cardio component is something that's really important because it starts to train your adrenaline and it controls mm-hmm. the breath movement and it gets it so that you can figure out the pacing on when you start doing it right. And so there is this whole correlation that happens when we're, we're getting ready, you know, to go on, go on a tour, or go and do that, that I work with my clients, you know, like really figuring out what is that routine so that we can build up endurance. The breathing is not an issue and we start calming the adrenaline, which then helps the nerves as you take stage. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of like, full circle things that happens when you do it. Interesting. The way nerves are tied to breath. Yeah. Like when you're nervous, it's the yeah. same as being excited or winded. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So you were out there with JT on some Man of the Woods stuff. I was, I'm actually wearing my my Man of the Woods hoodie right now. I um, was the stay-at-home swing on that tour. Uh, my seniority granted me the option to do that. Uh, I've been with Jay since I was 20 or actually like, yeah, I'm, some... I'm like, this is like full circle. I've seen yeah, you totally. many times. Yes. Uh, I, so cool. Yeah. What if this is my favorite funny story with him was, um, he, I love him. Like I have watched him from Mickey Mouse club. I have never missed a concert of his truly. Uh. Like mm-hmm. I am a fan and fan through and through, but I couldn't like say that to him, obviously when I met, cause that's weird. But <laughs> when I came home on like, you know, where you have like five days on and three days off or whatever, I was home for like three days before I went back out. Mm-hmm. When I get stressed, I organize and I was cleaning out a closet and I found my journal from when I started teaching. And I was like, and it's like, what are your goals? Blah, blah, blah. You know? And I was like, here it comes, here here it comes. Number Mm -hmm. eight was I will work with Justin Timberlake. And I like literally died. I thought it was the, and so I sent a picture. I took a picture of it and I sent it to him and I was like, guess what I just found. And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was laughing and he goes, you clearly need to have higher aspirations. (laughs) I was like, clearly I do. (laughs) Oh, the picture of humility. Yeah, time to set that, time to re-up that uh, that goals bar. I know, right? It's like I need to do a new vision board, but, you know, I don't know. Things are things are popping, so I'm okay for a minute. 
All right. I'm so happy for you. That's such a cool, uh, a cool story and a cool overlap. Um, okay. So back when Jay, Jay was injured, I had, I was, I had lost my voice. It was gone for like six days. What I think had happened was I think I had a cyst that ruptured and I think that left me with some temporary paralysis. I think that because of conversations I've had with my new close friend, Dr. Nasiri, uh, ENT, um, who I was put in touch with, thanks again to Rob, the voice whisperer. You, you mentioned earlier how important it is to have a team with a well-tuned ear. Mm-hmm. And after I had Rob on the podcast uh, to you know just talk about voice and training and all his wonder. Uh, he, I, I paid for a session with my assistants at the time to have a training session with him, uh, just the three of us and him. And so we did that. And afterwards he was like, Dana, let's, let's you and I do another one of these. During that little one-on-one, he in the kindest way said, have you thought about seeing a doctor and I was like, oh my God, Rob, is it that bad? Is it that freaking bad? And he was like, you're not tone deaf. You're not like a bad singer, but I can tell you have some damage. And uh, he was like, you should go, go get scoped, go see Dr. Nasiri. I did. And on that day, Dr. Nasiri was like, all right, we, we got a plan. I was like, what's the plan, doc? I'm thinking, he's like, you've got some soft nodules. I'm going to give you a voice pathologist and you'll see him twice a week, whatever. He said, surgery immediately. Uh, We need to remove that school bus size cyst that is parked sideways in your throat right now. And I was like, dang. I'll, I'll text you some photos, Mindy. You're going to love yeah, it. Yeah, I want to see he, things, yeah. he, he was like, I've never, he, once in his career, has he seen one as big, big or, yeah. So anyways, I went through that. It's like, yeah, it's emotional for me to think about being voiceless. Yeah. Oof. So 21-day recovery and really close like inspection on what made that happen? Was it the way I was breathing? Was it teaching constantly over loud music? Is it my posture when I talk to people leaning forward because I think that's how you show enthusiasm? Is it a combination of everything? Probably. But I certainly in that time was like, I guess still so emotional about it. Like, I, I don't know what what was. I it's not. It's not unnatural. I think I get emotional with any injury, when yeah. you're thinking. I'm broken. I can't do it, or I did it wrong. That sucks. Yeah, there's a vulnerability. There's guilt. There's shame, and there shouldn't. There shouldn't be because you could have even been born with it. Hmm. You know, if it was, if it was the true cyst where they pop it out, like you could have been born with that and you wouldn't mm-hmm. have ever known until mm-hmm. it just kind of grew and manifest just based on getting older, you know, which right. wasn't, wasn't that anything. And so like the, it is emotional. I mean, I remember yeah. 
You know, when I was injured, I felt like my world was over. You know, like I was like, I'm a teacher who's teaching how to sing correctly and I'm injured. Like, I feel like the biggest hypocrite in the entire world. Right. I'm a fraud. I'm a scam. Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, which I've talked about in other things, but I had a child who was kidnapped and I got him back, you know, but it like manifested that stress and emotion manifested in my throat because I didn't sleep for days on end. My hair was falling out. I mean, I was a wreck. And because that's where I hold my stress and emotion is in my throat. That's when I became injured and something, you know, that I always, you know, and I say this a lot is something that was truly so traumatic for me because it was, I lost my identity. I was known for my voice. I was known to be the singer. I was known like, you need somebody singing, it's here. You need somebody to present on stage. I'm here. My personality is my voice. And I lost it. And it was humbling. It was scary. I have many recordings of me laying on a piano with my coach sobbing, going, my life literally is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? And he just would, you could, you can hear him walk around the piano and he would just hold me. He's like, it's not over. I got you. We're going to figure it out. And, um, like, I didn't even know I was injured. Like this was before I really went into like a thing and how I found out I was injured is by Dr. Masiri Get out on of here. a stage at a voice conference where I volunteered to be scoped because I was like, my voice feels a little rough and I'd never been scoped. And I was in front of 400 people who were singers and he scoped. And instead of like pulling me aside privately, he's like, oh, you're injured. What did you do? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I just <laughs> fell out. Okay. So you found out you were pregnant during a physical to go yeah, on tour and yeah, you found out you had a vocal on. injury. No, go, in, big or go. go big or go. Go big or go. Oh my God. God, like, Mindy. And, like, and it was like, I got done with the press and he came out and was so gracious and kind like after, but it was like the worst place to be diagnosed because I was in a room full of your full peers. Of, yeah. Like teachers, peers, other students. Like I was leading this conference. Like, I mean, it was mm-hmm. just, it was just this whole thing, but because of that injury, that's what forced me to go into this whole rehabilitation thing because I was like, I never, ever want anybody to feel as isolated or as alone or the shame that I, I mean, in my community did not support me. Like they definitely, like it was a minute and it wasn't until I realized that because of the, I didn't get injured because I was singing or doing something weird. It was from this, this kidnapping, which manifested itself, you know, a couple months later in my voice. And that's where I, I figured out the correlation and wow. That traumatic experience ended up being the best blessing in my life. Lemons into lemonade, Mindy. Yeah. This is what you 100%. do. 100%. Um, also, lemonade, not great for the voice. Very acidic. Lots of sugar. Avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I It's tough. I want to go a, a handful of different directions, but... I'll, let's stick right here because I want to leave it so bad. <laughs> uh, what would you say to the person that's in that place of feeling lost without their identity other than what your teacher told you, which is you're not alone. This isn't the end. Yeah. I mean, in and of itself, that's like key. Like you're not mm-hmm. alone. What if there's an injury 
there's very, very, very few injuries that you cannot come back from. Like there's only really one <laughs> that I know of that you just won't come back from. The rest you can come back from, mm-hmm. um, you know, in some way. And so to not give up hope, to really find um, somebody that you trust, because not every coach is trained in rehabilitation. Not every coach understands the patience that it has to come to in in the rehabilitation process. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say that would be one thing is really making sure you have the right team surrounding you. Um, to do it and to also make sure you got diagnosed correctly. Cause there's a mm-hmm. lot of where you've been missed. People have been misdiagnosed and you know, that both Rob and I and other coaches that I know that and other doctors where it's just like, Hey, wait a second. You know, you know, you know, that a great example is one artist that I was working with never ever saw uh, a voice coach ever was having issues on a tour, went to a different state because they were on tour, saw a doctor um, ended up getting, I can't remember getting my name through someone and called up, sent me the video of the scope so I could see it. And I was like, you've been misdiagnosed. And they're like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, your doctor misdiagnosed you. Like this is act cause they just wanted to do steroids, give you steroids, voice rest, we'll do it. And I'm like, no, you probably need surgery. Like do not go on stage tonight. And this person literally had to blind faith. Trust me, never having met me. I'm going up against a doctor Mm. and I was like, I need you to trust me and um, ended up sending him to a different doctor and the different doctors like, yeah, you were misdiagnosed. And within a week, we postponed some of the tour dates, had surgery, and then we had to rehab, you know, which again, for an artist is very scary because they don't want a coach to change their identity Mm -hmm. or who they are, the sound that got them. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's a lot of trust that had to go in and be like, trust the process. Just, you know, I'm not going to change your sound. I'm going to make it better. And so it's been, you know, it's been amazing because we rehab back. They saw the benefit. They saw the goal. And they're on this international tour currently. And it's the first time in a 15-year touring career that they've never had to cancel a show because of the voice. Like, nice. so it ended up being this great thing. But going back to it, it's just making sure that your team diagnosed you correctly and to trust your gut. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Okay. So outside of the trauma moment, outside of like the red flashing light emergency moment, what do you encourage people who use their voice regularly? And I actually do include, I'm like, I, I know I have a lot of listeners who are pursuing musical theater careers, Broadway voice, singing voice is a part of their life, but also a lot of educators, dance educators who Sure. Like there was this moment where I was like, oh, if I can't teach, if I can't talk, I can't teach. That's a a huge part of, as you mentioned before, like I found a fulfillment in teaching that was on par, very, not very different, but a little bit different than what I feel on stage. Still creative, still energizing, still rooted in the thing that I love, but different in challenging ways and fun ways, whatever. Anyways, it's a it's probably 50% of what makes up my income and my my love cup, you know? So when that my ability to teach went away, trauma. So we're talking to educators, we're talking to vocalists, we're talking to people who speak in their daily life. What do you recommend 
that people do every day? And what do you recommend people stop doing right now? So recommending every day is straw phonation. So hence the reason. <laughs> yep. Yes, ma'am. I, I mean, love it. It's actually been one of the things that back in school, you know, that I went back to was I actually got a study with one of the leading boy scientists in the world, Dr. Ingo Tietze, and he's done 20 plus years all on the research of, of straw phonation. But I realized that there wasn't the correct straw lengths and diameters for singers. And so I ended up creating the voice straw. The voice straw, which yeah. I have yeah. and love. Yeah. So straw phonation warm up is the fastest, most effective way to get your voice in balance and to mm -hmm. constantly check in with that. So everybody should have, you know, anybody who's an active voice user. And I say, I do the same thing. School teachers, like I have a warm up that I do with school teachers, you know, people that, you know, teach dance, you know, it's like besides the amplification system, like where you can have a mic to talk into, um, there's a, you know, like, how do you yell correctly? How do you know, like, there's a difference of yelling to the kid in the corner to be like, Hey, five, six, seven versus pronouncing it and being in it. There's a correct way of doing it and an incorrect way of doing it. So we can show mm -hmm. you how. Um, so really kind of getting a vocal routine that's going to help you before a cool mm -hmm. down is as important as a warm up. Um, I'm learning this <laughs> in dance uh, specifically because I'm 36 now and yo, I need that cool down. Yeah, you have to. Okay, a vocal cool down. What yeah. does it look like? Is it the same as the warm up? No, because you start warm up, you start smaller into longer scale type stuff, mm -hmm. you know, so you're getting it warm. You go out and do your vocal athleticism, you know, whatever that is, the show, ministering or teaching dance or whatever. And then you come back and you have your voices on fire, you know, it's hot. And so you got to bring it back into a normal speech mode and cool it down. So like that sort of so thing. So it's the inverse it, of a warm up. Exactly. Uh, shorter scales. Yeah, so you would start like longer pattern into a shorter powder pattern type deal. Mm -hmm. Um into speech. So that would be where that would go. Um so yeah, so I think that would be a thing everybody needs to do now. Any everything that people need to stop if they're a serious voice user is smoking and vaping, it has, it's the worst thing you can do for your voice. Um, and that's really difficult to get around to people because they're like, but it's natural. No, anything you inhale passes the vocal cords and it is the worst thing you can do. Um, clearing your throat, as you already know, and then figuring mm -hmm. out what triggers your voice. You know, like if there's something that makes it, so like you mentioned lemons, um, like I can't, I can't do lemon. Like lemon is the worst for me because it will make it do. But I could sit there and drink a gallon of milk and not have any issue. Interesting. It's really, it's really figuring out what like to not do like an umbrella. Like I heard this. Really figure out what works with your pH, you know, and, and go through that. Cool. That's great. That's a great suggestion. Um, all right. Any other thoughts that you would like to leave our listeners with or or how we might find more of you and the voice straw, which I will 100% be linking to because, if I may, um, it's not just the straws, but at least the package that I got had these awesome little silicone cups. 
yeah. that are way safer, especially if you are in the car. I uh, yeah. would not recommend your aluminum straw foundation while you're driving. But these little silicone cups, it creates this like uh, the this pressure. It just feels like velvet on my voice. I really love it. Um, so I'll 100% link to that and make sure people know how to find it. Well, hopefully, well, if not, we're going to, you have a big discount for your followers. So awesome. Have that in there so that you have it. And it also comes with a workout. So for those that don't know how to do a good vocal workout, there's a guide that how to do it. And the silicone cups, um, they help it so you can train how to yell essentially. Like it really pings your voice into that. So people that are needing to yell, that's one of the components of doing it. Cause you know, you mentioned the straw brings this awesome back pressure in cause that's what puts the vocal tract in its configuration, but you can't with the straw in your mouth, you can't create vowels and sounds, you know, cause you're just mm-hmm. doing it. when you add the cup, you're able to sing, pronounce, yell, learn. So it's a, it's a training thing that we do on all of our songs to learn how to get that placement in the right way. And there's a whole bunch of science that goes around it, which you can find on the website. Um, if you want voicestraw.com. Um, that or just DM me, man. I will message you back and, like, and talk about it because like I'm a voice nerd and really honestly, I made it to help every type of voice user be able to, you know, figure it out. You know, every all these other instrumentations and dancers, they all have these tools to make them better, but voice users didn't have anything. And so mm-hmm. we finally created one that is the right diameters and lengths and have the cups with it to to really help the voice user. So yeah, voicedraw.com or mindypack.com and you know, you can find us. Fabulous. Kick ass, Mindy. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I appreciate You're it. Kidding. I had the best time. Thank you so much. So such a good time. <laughs> Oh, we shall do it again. And actually, I will almost certainly be contacting you about some lessons in shouting (laughs) because it seems like, and I do, I've made it a requirement, a microphone when I teach in a ballroom, period, the end. But sometimes I want to shout. It's not even that I have to. It's not even like I have to get that kid's attention, but I want to, and I am like in my recovery, it's been a year, a little over a year, I am afraid to. And I know I don't want to be afraid with this instrument. So you'll you'll be hearing you'll be hearing more from me for sure. I got you, girl. I can show you how to yell with the best of them. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, I will link to all your good stuff. Thanks again. Um, I'll talk Absolutely. to you soon. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. Bye. See ya. All right, all right, my friend. What do you think of that? Oof. I thought that was very cool. (laughs) I especially loved to hear about Mindy and my, wait, Mindy and I's? Mindy and my? My and Mindy? Oh, mom, help me. My grammar police. I'm, uh, I was excited to hear about our JT overlap, um, and how she crushed her own goals in working with him. Uh, I was also blown away to hear her story about her vocal injury, about her pregnancy and how it changed her life. Wow. This is really a person who makes the most of things that would stop most of us. And that is is really something that we can all learn from, I think. Uh, I was really inspired to hear what she had to share, and I hope that you are too. I also 
hope that you want to try some straw phonation with me, right? I mean, I do it daily, all the time. Very, very much in love with this. I, I'm in love with the velvety feeling that I have after I use this little warm-up. So go check out Mindy and snag yourself a voice straw over at voicestraw.com. Don't forget to use the discount code WTMMVOICE, all caps, no spaces, at the checkout. Enjoy that 10% savings. Ooh, by the way, as we near the end of the year, you know what you could do with that 10% savings? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You could take it right over to danceresourcecenter.org and make a year-end donation to Words That Move Me, a.k.a. me, us, yours truly. The Dance Resource Center is our fiscal sponsor, and I would be lying to you if I said that we are ahead of our fundraising goal for the year. We are not. We are 100% behind our fundraising goal, which means we are completely not at our goal. I mean, we're not like 100% away from our goal. We're just 100% not at it yet. Um, so if you are able to, if you are digging what you hear here on the podcast, please consider making a donation. Donations made through the Dance Resource Center are tax deductible, which is a super bonus, but there is a minimum donation of $50. So if you want to donate, but that mark is a little high for you, reach out to me on Instagram. We will find a different way that you can show your support, like by leaving a review or a rating, for example. Simple as that. Wow, guys, I did not see that um, outro plug going the way that it just did. But alas, there it was. Here we are. Voice Straw, Dance Resource Center. Both of those links will be in the show notes to this episode. Be sure you go check them out. And be sure, be absolutely sure to keep it funky. I'll talk to you later. Bye. This podcast was produced by me with the help of many. Music by Max Winnie. Logo and brand design by Brie Reitz. And big thanks to Riley Higgins, our executive assistant and editor. Also, massive thanks to you, the mover who is no stranger to taking action. So go take action. I will not, cannot stop you from downloading episodes or leaving a review and a rating. I will not ban you from my online store for spending your hard-earned money on the cool merch and awesome programs that await you there. I will 100% not stop you from visiting wordsthatmoveme.com if you want to talk with me, work with me, and make moves with the rest of the Words That Move Me community. Oh, and also, I will not stop you from visiting thedanawilson.com if you're curious about all the things that I do that are not words that move me related. <laughs> all right, my friend, keep it funky. I'll talk to you soon.